1: Cyberbit is offering Cyberwire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at Cyberbit.com/slash Cyberwire. The Magento e-commerce platform's been brute forced. Android Trojan steals messaging information. NJ Rat gets an update and some new and trendy criminal functionality. You got notes on the Panera Bread data breach. A major U.S. natural gas pipeline operator has its customer billing and scheduling system hacked. Russia thinks the U.S. and U.K. are no longer as decent and trustworthy as they used to be during the Cold War. And another data scandal class action suit is filed. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 3rd, 2018. Flashpoint reports that e-commerce sites running on the popular open-source Magento platform are undergoing brute-force attacks designed to scrape credentials and then install cryptocurrency-mining malware. Flashpoint says its researchers know of at least 1,000 Magento admin panels the attackers have compromised, and they say dark web operators have shown a strong interest in Magento since 2016. Part of the problem lies with users retaining default passwords. Flashpoint recommends enforcing password complexity requirements, restricting users from recycling passwords, enabling two-factor authentication, and using password managers. Trustlook researchers have identified a new Android Trojan designed to take data from a number of widely used messaging apps. They found the malware inside the Chinese app Cloud Module. The malware itself has the package name com.android.boxa. The apps being targeted include Skype, Facebook Messenger, Twitter, Telegram, WeChat, Weibo, Viber, Line, Coco, Btalk, Momo, Voxer Walkie Talkie Messenger, Groovio Magic Call, and Talkbox Voice Messenger. It appears to do just one thing—extract and exfiltrate messaging data. That singularity of focus suggests to some, Bleeping Computer concludes, that the attackers are looking for private conversations, video, and images they might be able to use in extortion attempts. Zscaler warns that NJRAT has been updated with ransomware and cryptocurrency stealing capabilities. NJRAT has been in circulation since 2013. The new version, which Zscaler is calling NJRAT Lime Edition, includes DDoS capability as well as ransomware and Bitcoin looting functionality. It retains more familiar capabilities, including a keylogger and screen locker. We talk a lot about insider threats, and I have to admit, whenever the topic comes up, I can't help but thinking about the 1979 suspense classic, When a Stranger Calls. We've traced a call. It's coming from inside the house. A squad the over there right now. Just get out of that house. My sister, in particular, used to lose a lot of sleep over that one. In the cybersecurity biz, insider threats aren't quite so dramatic and hopefully aren't a life-or-death situation, but they can be scary and I'm willing to bet there's no shortage of security professionals who lose sleep worrying about them. Mike McKee is CEO at Observe It, where they specialize in insider threat prevention, and he joins us to take a bit of the mystery out of the topic.
0: The state of where we stand right now is there are too many people saying, I don't know, uh, whether it's, I don't know how that data got out, I don't know how big my risk is, I don't know who I should be worried about, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that cybersecurity has traditionally been focused on the external threat, the malware, the ransomware, the hackers, you hear lots about that. You don't hear as much about the insider threat, whether that be a vendor, contractor, employee. A, because companies don't want to talk about that as much. It's a lot easier to talk about Russia and China than it is your own employees sending files out. And as a result, there just isn't that much visibility on how big that risk is and really how people get files out. But they do know that you know, a disproportionate, greater than 50% of data breaches involve someone on the inside.
1: And is it the situation where by the time we get to data exfiltration, you've already had a bunch of things go wrong?
0: Yes and no. I mean, there's the, the two sides of the camp. There's the malicious actor and there's the uninformed actor. You know, it's our belief, actually, that there are a lot of early warning signals to both of those folks. If you do have good visibility and you do have good detection, You'll see those early warning signals. We always use the expression "you'll see the smoke before the fire," and stop bad things from, you know, getting out of control or getting really hurtful to an organization. And
1: so, what kind of early warning signals are you talking about?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some basic things, you know, whether it's printing files after hours, going to cloud file sharing services, elevating privileges, uh, sending out large documents, downloading certain applications from the web. Uh, quite often you'll see those early warning signs uh, pretty early. What about uh, shadow IT, where, where folks are, who are just looking to get their work done, they feel like IT
1: is telling them no, so they find workarounds, and, and that's where you end up with a security problem.
0: Yeah, I'll use another uh, example of myself. You know, I often say when I'm at conferences and I pull out my USB drive and i madly fixed the presentation on the way to the conference and, you know, I copy it on my USB disk. I then plug that into the laptop uh, where the conference presenter is, and later I plug it back into my computer, uh, which is not a very security-conscious move. And our security folks here have told me that. But to your point, you're trying to get your job done, and I tell you, you see the same thing with cloud file sharing services. You see the same thing with Gmail. I mean, sometimes you can send a file, a large file, via Gmail easier than you can a corporate Outlook system. Quite often, and once again, one thing that we try to do is identify the barriers to people getting their work done that are causing them to go outside the rules or outside the security policies, because sometimes those can be easy fix for an organization, such that their employees don't have to go outside the rules to get their job done.
1: So in your mind, how much of the solutions to these sorts of things are a technology thing, and how much of it is a person-to-person educational type of thing?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I always say it's people, process, technology in that order, which is sort of weird for a technology vendor to say. But on the people side, it's you know, it used to be the case that you wanted to know where your critical assets were. Uh, on the people side now, it's knowing who those high-risk users are, who are those people that have access to very valuable information and maybe in a position to be sending that information out. So it's very important to have education. To your point, it's very important that processes. Uh, I always say insider threat's a team sport because you're dealing with people, not with machines. And as a result, you have to have good processes between HR, legal, IT, and InfoSec. And then obviously technology can help you along the way. But technology by itself isn't going to be the silver bullet if you don't have a lot of education, a lot of buy-in organizationally, and people know what's happening and know what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do, as well as processes for when things start to go wrong. Uh, And then it all starts with visibility and that, you know, you can have fancy artificial intelligence or machine learning or heuristics or whatever the word of the day is, but it's only as good as the data that you have. And that data needs to give you a very comprehensive view around what people are doing, as well as alerts that give you early indication when they're doing something outside of the policies.
1: That's Mike McKee. He's the CEO of Observe It!, Panera Bread is receiving poor reviews for the security of its online ordering system in the wake of the data breach disclosed yesterday by Krebs on Security. Lost data includes customer names, their email and physical addresses, their birthdays and the last four digits of their credit card numbers. Millions of customers who ordered food online from PaneraBread.com are potentially affected, but the company has told Reuters that not only is the issue resolved, but that Panera has concluded that less than 10,000 customers were potentially affected. Panera was, according to Graham Cluley, who has an account on Bitdefender's Hot for Security site, notified of the problem back in August by researcher Dylan Hoylehan, but were slow to either believe his disclosure or take action. The company's site was still experiencing problems as recently as yesterday, and the true number of customers whose data may have been lost seems to most observers likely to be significantly higher than Panera's estimated ceiling of 10,000. Energy Transfer Partners, a major U.S. natural gas pipeline operator, announced Monday that its operations were being affected by a cyber attack against its electronic data interchange. The interchange, which expedites shipping and billing to customers by machine-to-machine document transfers, is a third-party system provided by Energy Services Group, LLC. There's been no attribution. Investigation and remediation are continuing. It's worth noting that the attack affects IT systems and not, insofar as is known, OT systems. Energy Transfer Partners says operations will continue during remediation. The attack, which appears to be the work of criminals and not state espionage services, has reminded many of recent U.S. government warnings that Russian cyber operators are conducting apparent battlespace preparation of U.S. infrastructure. Phil Nire, VP of Industrial Cybersecurity at Boston-based CyberX, realizes that while this isn't the grid-killing attack so many people fear, it's a disturbing harbinger of what may come. Nire said, quote, The FBI DHS alert makes it clear that our critical infrastructure is in the crosshairs of our adversaries. This looks like a financially motivated cyber attack, likely by cyber criminals, but we've seen in the past that cyber criminals often collaborate with nation states and share hacking tools with each other. It's easy to imagine a ransomware attack that uses nation state tools to hijack ICS SCADA systems and hold the pipeline hostage for millions of dollars per day." It's natural that such thoughts should turn to Russia during this period of heightened tensions recently made worse by Russia's attempted assassination by nerve agents of Sergei Skripal, a former GRU officer who spied on behalf of Britain's MI6, and Skripal's daughter Yulia in Salisbury, England. There have been no further diplomatic expulsions over the episode, but Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov, for his part, thinks U.S.-Russian relations are worse than they were during the Cold War. The U.S. and U.K. in particular have lost, Mr. Lavrov says, the sense of decency they once possessed and are now engaged in full-on disinformation. Other Russian officials complain of the West backing Russia into a corner. The Russian line concerning the Salisbury attack has been that it was an Anglo-American provocation and that Russia should be provided with evidence showing that Moscow was involved. U.S. President Trump has been in conversations with French President Macron and German Chancellor Merkel, concerning a coordinated response to Russian actions in the UK and elsewhere. New U.S. National Security Advisor Bolton is said to favor a hard line against Russian cyber operations in particular, urging that the U.S. undertake cyber reprisals that would be, as Bolton put it, disproportionate. One espionage case is unusual in that both the Russians and the Americans want the same man. FSB officer Dmitry Dokuchayev agreed to plead partially guilty in a Russian court to sharing information with a foreign intelligence service, presumably an American one. Dokuchayev is in trouble with both sides in the spy versus spy squabble. The FBI also wants him in connection with the Yahoo breach. They've got him on a wanted poster and everything. Finally, class action lawsuits in the Facebook and Cambridge Analytica data scandal continue to accumulate. The latest one has been filed in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York, alleging blatant disregard and misuse of sensitive personal data. There will surely be more like this to come. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. And joining me once again is Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and also director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Jonathan, welcome back. Uh, I saw a story come by, and it was talking about isogeny-based post-quantum crypto. Now, you and I have uh, sort of joked about how you throw the word quantum into anything cryptography-related, and people's ears perk up. Uh, But isogeny-based crypto is something that I'm unfamiliar with. Can you explain to us what are we talking about here?
2: Well, let me first of all set a little bit of the context. Uh, You know, many of the listeners might know that there's a big concern now about the possible advent of quantum computers, which would basically be able to break all the public key cryptography that we're currently using on the Internet. So people uh, in general are now actively trying to design what are called post-quantum cryptosystems that would remain secure even against a quantum computer. And in fact, uh, NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, is currently running a public competition to try to vet uh, some algorithms that would have this post-quantum security. And uh, isogeny based cryptography is basically one of these methods that people are proposing that uh, is a new method, it's not not something that's currently deployed or that's currently in use, but it's uh, something that people believe might have a chance of being resistant even to quantum computers.
1: Can you share some of the details uh, of of it without uh, getting too in the weeds mathematically? Well, I can try. At a high (laughs) level, actually, it's very
2: similar to uh, Diffie-Hellman Key Exchange, if people are familiar with that concept, uh, where basically you have two users each with uh, their own secret, and based on their their own secret and some public information, they're able to compute a shared key. And so it's the same underlying idea here. The biggest difference is that rather than working in uh, kind of a regular group, what's called an abelian group, um, they're using a more general mathematical structure, and the reason for that is because quantum computers are able to, are able to solve actually the um, uh, the hard computational problem uh, on on abelian groups, but they're not able to solve it on these uh, on systems based on these isogenies.
1: So they're taking advantage of uh, I, I guess uh, what uh, a thing that the quantum computers aren't as good at.
2: Yeah, exactly. They're they're taking advantage of a hard computational problem. Uh, based on elliptic curves, but, but actually I want to stress it's different from the elliptic curve cryptography that's already in use. Uh, but it's a problem based on elliptic curves, and, uh, and that problem we currently don't know how to solve uh, on a quantum computer or on a classical computer uh, efficiently. So it seems like a promising potential candidate for uh, quantum-resistant cryptography.
1: And where are we along with this? Are we still just in the research stage, or is this something we'll see anytime soon?
2: Uh, Definitely in the research stage. Actually, I was looking uh, earlier today um, because, like I said, NIST is running this public competition and you can go online and take a look actually at all the algorithms that have been submitted. And it looks like there's only been one uh, algorithm submitted uh, based on uh, isogenies, Uh, whereas there are some other techniques, for example, lattices. Uh, that have a lot more submissions really based on that based on those techniques. So it looks like people are still very unsure about how these isogeny-based crypto systems are going to play out and what kind of security they can get, but it's definitely uh, an interesting area of research.
1: All right, Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program?